Hi, everyone. Before we get to our show today, I wanted to give you a very exciting announcement about Path 11 TV. This is a new network that Mike and I created through Path 11 Productions. And today I am going to give you an exclusive code. You won't be able to find it anywhere else. It's if you listen to this podcast. Um, I'm going to give you a code for 25% off your monthly membership of Path 11 TV for your first three months. Um, so you're basically going to get that membership for seven. $7.49 a month instead of $9.99 a month. And Path 11 TV is actually active right now. Um, it's a little bit of a secret. We kind of have it behind uh, closed doors here. But if you go to path11tv.com, you will see that you can subscribe to our network. We are adding um, footage uh, constantly and regularly. We are going to be launching this more publicly on, guess the date, November 11th. 11-11-2020, around 11 a.m., we are inviting some very special guests who will be uh, helping us to launch the Path 11 TV on that day, so stay tuned for that. And um, we have a lot of content there. Right now, we have over 75 hours of exclusive footage. We have stuff on UFOs, consciousness, healing. I mean, you name it, it is there. I think you guys are going to love it. So are you ready for the code? Get your pen and paper down. This is only for people who listen to this podcast. And uh, the code is podcast 25. Again, that gives you 25% off of your monthly membership, providing you three months of free viewing. So go ahead and head over to path11tv.com, put in your code podcast 25 and get yourself started. If you're not sure if you want to do that yet, I forgot to mention, we also have a three free day trial. So just sign up anyway. Um, sign up if we have other deals or, you know, other contents going on, you'll probably hear about it if we follow that up with a newsletter, but um, you can try it for three days for free. And then if you like what you see and you don't get a chance to watch it all, which you won't be able to in three days, go ahead and put in podcast 25 for 25% off your monthly membership, again, giving you three months of free viewing. So those three free days will turn into three months. All right, guys. And uh, that's all I have for you today. And let's get to our show. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast. I have invited a speaker who I absolutely loved, uh, who presented at the 2020 Afterlife Awareness Conference. His name is Brian Smith. And after the sudden death of his 15-year-old daughter, Brian began organizing programs for groups of bereaved parents throughout the U.S., after 57 years of experience and almost much of that time helping and leading families informally, he decided to make it official. He obtained his life coaching certificate to help more people more formally. Uh, he, he's going to tell you this, but um, he had a career as an engineer in corporate tech sales and as a small business owner of a business that he built from the ground up. He's raised two children. He experienced the death of a child, and he's been married for nearly 30 years. Uh, more importantly, he has a passion for helping people. Um, I think even if you have never experienced the loss of a child, this podcast is going to have a lot of very helpful information about grief, how to help people who are grieving, 
Um, more specifically, Brian will be able to speak to uh, those who are grieving the loss of a child. So if you have a friend, a family member, uh, you'll find this to be very help helpful. And he's also going to talk about how he was able to come through uh, his grief and manage it and what he has been doing. So I would like to bring Brian onto the show. Hi, Brian. Hi, April. Good to be, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, and I also wanted to mention that you do have a book. I love it because it's only 73 pages. It's short, but it is like precise. And I feel like it is a grief handbook that everybody should carry around with them. So um, some of the stuff and the content and questions that I'm going to ask you are also from your book that you wrote, but uh, it's great to see you again. Sounds good. It's good to see you too. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we begin and let our listeners and audience know your story. And uh, you have the picture of your beautiful daughter right there behind you. For those yeah. of you um, who are just listening, I would really highly recommend to head on over to half11tv.com. So you can actually watch the video of this podcast because he's got some visuals that I think would make it a little more personable for you to actually see what we're talking about and who we're talking about. Right. Uh, well, yeah, that's my daughter, Shana. And uh, Shana is always with me. She did pass away five years ago at the age of 15. But uh, when I started doing this work and I had a, I was using a virtual background for Zoom, there was another picture there. And someone said, is that your daughter? And I was like, well, no, but Shana's like, OK, you got to put me there, daddy. So she's always with me. She's always right over my shoulder. So that's why she's there. Yeah. So can you tell our listeners how her death came about and how it was actually pretty unexpected? And yeah, it happened? was very unexpected. She was uh, she was a healthy 15 year old girl. Uh, she had just finished her freshman year of high school, was going into her sophomore year. Uh, she had just played a volleyball tournament the weekend before she passed. And um, she came back from the volleyball tournament on a Saturday and on, on Wednesday morning, we went to wake her up and she was unresponsive. She had, she had passed in her sleep. Uh, she did have a mild heart condition, which we were aware of, but it wasn't life threatening and it certainly shouldn't have impacted her while she was sleeping. So it was it was a, a major shock to us. Um, I, I, the passing of a child is always a shock. I think even if you know it's coming. But in this case, she was literally here one day. You know, I said goodnight to her the night before we've been watching television and went to wake her up to to come down and help us with the family business on Wednesday morning. And, and she was gone. So it was just that sudden. Yeah. And, you know, in your book, I wasn't aware of this statistic, but I had written it down that you had said one in eight people over the age of 50 will have lost a child. Yeah, it's a very surprising statistic to people, I think. Um, and it's interesting as I've gotten into this world working through helping parents heal. Obviously, I'm around a lot of parents who have, have had children transition and I don't use the word lost. I don't use the word dead. So my language sounds kind of awkward sometimes. Uh, because I don't believe our children are lost. And I don't believe anybody truly dies. But but yeah, working with all these parents, I, you know, I, I'm around those parents all the time. But what we don't realize is when we're walking down the street and we see somebody, we never know their story. So we don't know how many people that we come in contact with every day have had children who have who have crossed over. And it's kind of there's kind of a stigma attached to it. It's really hard to talk about. So a lot of time, a lot of parents who have had children cross won't talk about it, you know, unless you actually drag it out of them. So it's a lot more common than you realize. And the reason why that's important to point out to people is you feel like you're alone. When this happens, you feel like you're the only person this has ever happened to, that there's no way you can possibly get through it. No one could ever survive this. And people will even say to you, if I had a, my child died, I could never survive it. And that's actually, frankly, a terrible thing to say, because we all survive what we have to. And it really puts people in a position where it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't be able to survive this. But 
We we do, and a lot of a lot of parents not only survive it but end up thriving after their child transitions. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about your process? And you know, I I know you said in your book too. It's like it's probably every parent's you know nightmare to think that their child would die before them, but. Yeah. You know, more often or not, when you have children, you're probably thinking that you are going to be the one to pass before them, you know, not vice versa. So can yeah. you talk about what that process is like. Yeah. Well, the natural order of things is, you know, we we all get to be here eight, 70, 80 years and then we go. Right. So that's what we kind of think life should be like. And we don't think that a child should should leave early and certainly not before we do. Uh, but the reality is it's not as uncommon as we as we think, as we just talked about. Uh, it's a little bit less common now, but it used to be m- more common. But as far as my process goes, one thing I want to say to people, particularly with child loss, is that almost universally, when your child transitions, you feel like you want to go too. And it, it may not be suicidal. It may not be that you're planning it. And if it is, I certainly encourage people to get help. But just to feel as a parent, you want to take care of your child and you want to know they're OK. So you want to be with them. That's, that's probably the first thing that's going to happen. And I think that may be particularly true for mothers, because, frankly, I think there's a special bond between mothers and and their children. But fathers, it happens to also. So when you have those feelings, it's it's okay. It's okay to have them. You're not going crazy. It doesn't necessarily even mean you're suicidal. You just want to be with your child. So that, frankly, was me for a long time. And when people talk about we talk about healing or talk about living my life for the next 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, I would literally get angry. I was like, I don't want to I don't want to think about healing. I want to feel bad for the rest of my life. I want to honor my daughter. And because I loved her so much, I felt like the more I love her, the more I'm going to be in pain, which is another myth that we we tell ourselves. Um, but it's OK to to want to heal. So that's the first thing that you, we, we need to get to. And then for myself, I found an organization called Helping Parents Heal which really works on helping us form a bond with our children who have transitioned to understand how life, how our lives go on after our bodies cease to function. And that process helped me quite a bit. Plus I'd studied the afterlife for 20 years before Shana had passed. So I, I never thought of her as being completely like evaporated. Like, you know, what happened to her? Where'd she go? I knew she was somewhere and I knew she was okay. So as far as my process goes, I mean, I, I was walking quite a bit at the time. I walk every day. I walk seven miles this morning. Um, I meditate daily. I do a, a gratitude practice. I try to eat pretty well. Uh, you, you, you want to really take care of your body when you're going through this because grief is a debilitating thing. It's, it's draining. It's, it's all consuming. And it will make you feel like you're going crazy because for a while your brain chemistry literally is off. So all those all those little things I do um, and I what I tell people is it's really a practice. It's really work. Uh, it's not something that you're going to automatically get over, but you can get you can learn to live with it if you work at it. Yeah. And you uh, briefly mes- mentioned one of the myths. Um, can you talk about um, some more of the myths that, you know, one one particular that I remember reading in your book is that parents who suffer the loss of a child tend to have a high divorce rate. And, you know, you talk specifically in your book about how like you and your wife really bonded together, you work through it together, you know, you each had your own different process where mm-hmm. your wife might have went more to like the academics to get the research and you said you became your own expert in your own research um, on grief, but that I've heard that statistic before 
too. And I thought that it was true yeah. that mar marriages typically won't last after the death of a child. So can maybe you can start with that one and then highlight some of the other myths that you believe are out there. Yeah. The interesting thing about myths is they get repeated so often that we just assume they're true. And that was one that I, I assumed is true. And a friend of mine, right after my daughter passed, said to me, Brian, you know, that 80 percent of parents whose children transition get divorced. I'm like, well, first of all, that's not a great thing to tell a parent whose child has just passed. So that's one of the things to not say to a grieving parent if you're looking for things not to say. Um, but it turns out that was reported somewhere like in the 60s or something, and it got picked up on and repeated over and over again. Um, it's not it doesn't have to be that way. And that can happen um, because we have different grief processes and people can grow apart. So I think it's very important if you're in a relationship with someone to check in with each other and to honor each you know different paths that people have. So that is uh, definitely one of the, the, the big myths about um, about grief. The other some people think, uh, well, there's either I can't get over it or I will get over it. And there's a certain time frame. Um, neither one of those things is true. I what I tell people is um, we can learn to live with it. I will I will I will miss my daughter for the rest of my time on this earth. So if that if that's what you call grief, then I'll always be in grief. But it doesn't mean that I can't have a good life. It doesn't mean I can't enjoy myself. It doesn't mean I can't be productive. Um, but on the other hand, it's, it doesn't automatically just go away either. As I said, we do, we do have to work on it. So what I tell people, the analogy I use, it's like carrying a weight. If you're carrying a 25 pound, 25 pound weight every day, it's going to feel really heavy at first. But eventually you get stronger, you build the muscles, and you learn to carry it with, with a lot more ease and a lot more grace. And that's what, that's what I try to work when I'm working with people is how do I carry this with ease and grace and how do I make the rest of my life productive to honor my, my loved one that's crossed before me? Yeah, you also mentioned in the book, too, um, you know, when you talk about timing, like, you know, when should I pack my daughter's stuff up or should I? Should I just leave it there? And I really liked how you described in your home, like you still have pictures of your daughter up. She's mm -hmm. still very much there. You say hello to her in the morning. And part of that, too, I think maybe because of your study of the afterlife. And like you had said, like, it's not that she's gone. She's still here. Like you can still connect with her. Um, but that, you know, it's it's important for people to know when they need to do that in their time or if they do or if they don't. But I really like you to let people know how you still honor her and how she's still very much a part of your home. Um, yeah. You know, there's pictures of her. I mean, like you say, every time you get onto a Zoom call, she's there smiling over your shoulder. It's not like you've kind of packed her up and, um, you know, put her away. Yeah, you know, and it's an individual thing. People ask me, well, when should I do this? I'm like, it's whenever you're ready, you know. Um, some people think it's, it's like being in denial to leave the room the way it was. Um, but we still have, it's a spare room. We do, people do sleep there. It's a guest room, but we've left it the way it was decorated when Shana was there. My wife likes to go in there to feel like she's with her. Um, I personally don't like going in there, so I don't go in there very often. So we all have our different things, but we got big pictures of her blown up that the picture you see behind me, it's. We have a picture that's about, I don't know, three feet by four feet. And there's a couple of them in our foyer. So every morning when I open my bedroom door, the first thing I see is Shana's face. And I say good morning to her. Uh, I say good night to her every night. When I take my dog out for the last time, I, I, I tell Shana good night. So I, I personally want to make her a part of my day, you know, all day, every day. Um, I've talked to parents. I was talking with a client I was working with, and she said that they don't mention her son who had transitioned. She and her husband and their other son. And I... That's just I'm like, that's not healthy. That's unhealthy because you're all thinking about him. So what I was saying to her, you know, and, and people are scared. Well, if we talk about him, we're going to cry. Well, first of all, it's OK to cry. 
or maybe just set aside a time. I said, you know, maybe you set aside a time where you go and you get out the pictures. Well, they don't have pictures anymore, but you go, you get your phone, you go through and you just set aside time to talk about them and, and make them part of your life. And I truly believe there are loved ones who cross want to be part of our lives and they're still, they're still watching over us and they still want to be with us and they want us to, to honor them and include them in things. So Shana, for example, anniversaries and birthdays are hard. They're always hard for, for most people anyway. But for, for Shana, her birthday, we have ice cream and pizza because we know that's what Shana would want. So it's something that we look forward to, you know, doing that in her honor, as opposed to just like, you know, spending the whole day in bed or something. Mm-hmm. So you can, um, I, I talked to a grief counselor right when Shana, when she passed and she said, well, I know that people are getting better when they can say that their, their loved one has died when they stop using euphemisms which as you can tell, I completely disagree with because our bodies do die. And I acknowledge that Shana's body did cease to exist and Shana's body died, but Shana never ceased to exist. And I believe that from all the studies that I've done, but um, some people say it's like living in denial will keep them as part of your life. I personally don't believe that. I think they're still with us and I know that I'm going to see her again. So this gives me something to look forward to every morning. She's every day she's with me and someday I'm going to see her again. So that's what keeps me going forward. Can you talk a little bit more, too, about um, maybe what do families typically experience? You gave that one example of, you know, a client that you were working with and they don't really bring up their son's name. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you describe maybe different types of grief reactions that are very normal for parents to be having? Um, Maybe, you know, in your case, you were still together with your wife, but I'm sure that there are people who have been divorced and don't have contact with um, you know, the mother or the father of the child or that relationship could be strained. So what are yeah. some things that parents actually go through in the dynamics of the relationship and, you know, what happens during that process? Well, that's a great question. Uh, and the answer is there is no typical thing. Every 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 relationship, every family is different. Uh, we happen to have run into a lot of parents who um, the mother and the father aren't married anymore and the mother's married to another person. And then so they're going to mourn differently. The, the stepfather, you know, doesn't have the same connection with that child that, that the mother might have. And that, that can cause a strain on the relationship. I, I've seen that. Um, men, generally speaking, do more differently than women. So sometimes if a man doesn't cry in front of his spouse, he might be crying in the shower. He might be crying in the garage or something, but if he's not crying in front of his spouse. She may think, well, he doesn't care about our child as much as I do, or doesn't love him as much as I do. Uh, some people, they just don't want to bring up their name. And and again, it's not because they don't love them because it, they feel like it causes them too much pain and they might lose control. So you might have a family member that says, I don't, I don't want to talk about her. Or I don't, I don't, I'm going to put all the pictures away. Um, so it's really important to work with whomever you're with in a relationship and figure out how can we honor each other's grief, you know, and how can, and what can we do together? Uh, in my case, it's my daughter, my wife and myself who are remaining so I, we asked my daughter, who doesn't live here, she's she's 23 now, but she comes here a lot. We're like, is it okay if we put these pictures up of Shana? Is that going to you know going to bother you? And she's like, she was okay with that. We talked about you know having Shana's ashes put in an urn and put on the fireplace. So she said, no, that's creepy. I don't want ashes in the house. So we're like, we we honored that. So we we talk through these different decisions you have to make, and try to find what will work for you know for all of us that we can you know honor Shana but not bother you know the other person. 
Yeah, Brian, that's a great point too that you bring up too, because in your case there were siblings, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it sounds like you also included her sister in the in the process of it. Not, and I think sometimes that could probably happen where maybe um, other siblings, not that they're ignored, but because the parents are in such of their their own grief state that maybe they're not even thinking, oh yeah, let me ask, you know, what her brother or sister, you know, feels about this. So that sounds like that's an important component for people to. It is. They they were like. 20- Twins. They were like three years apart, but they were just like, you know, like twins. So we included Kate on all the decisions. And right at the beginning, when we had to decide whether we were going to have Shana's body buried or, or have her cremated, have her body cremated. And um, so we wanted to make sure that whatever we did, the Kate was okay with. So we talked to her about that. And ironically, we don't, we're kind of running short in time, but Shana actually told us, told Kate all her wishes about six weeks before she passed. So when we decided to have her body cremated, we knew that's what she had wanted. She was 15 years old. She was healthy, but for some reason she had that conversation with Kayla. Uh, it was about six weeks before she crossed. So we knew exactly what she wanted. We did that. She wanted to be cremated and have her uh, ashes spread under a tree and, and the trees in our front yards. Now we bought a tree and, and she's there. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that interesting too, you know, to have that conversation six weeks before I've, I've kind of, you know, heard other stories from other people too, that will say, yeah, you know, before my mom passed, before my dad passed or before somebody passed, it was almost as if the person might've had an internal knowing that their time was coming to an end. Um, have you heard similar stories? Yeah, all, all the time. I hear similar stories all the time. And, and, you know, as an engineer and an analytical person, sometimes I wonder if people are like reinventing history or remembering things differently. But I, rem- I like I said, we we, we said to Kayla, we, we decided to have Shana's body cremated. She said, well, she was just talking about this on Mother's Day. She passed on June 24th. And we're like, why? Was anybody else talking about it? She said, no, Shana was just talking about it. And I don't, we don't know. No one knows why. Um, so I've heard many parents talk about like how their kids may have talked about not wanting to grow up. Shana didn't, she said many times she didn't want to grow up. She didn't want to be an adult. Um, actually she's about 10 years old. She started crying because she realized she was going to have to grow up. And I was like, I'm sorry, but you know, that's, that's not my choice. Um, so yeah, when we, there, I think there is at the soul level of kind of knowing, I don't think it's at a conscious level necessarily, but people know that they're not going to be here for very long. Uh, and it could be children or other people too, but I've heard, I've found it's especially common, I think, with children. Um, they seem to live different kind of lives. They they really impact people strongly when they're here. Uh, they tend to be um, very uh, creative and just great at everything they do, which is how Shana was, um, and just live life like flat out, just want to experience everything. Um, I've seen that a lot with the clients that I've worked with. Yeah, I'd like you to also talk a little bit more, Brian, about how it's okay for people to live a happy life. Because, you know, um, I meant to write down the quote specifically in your book, but you said something to the effect of like, grief isn't something that you get through, but it's something that you manage. And I think it's really important for people to hear that it is okay for them to find moments in life and still enjoy the time that they're here. And you talked about it a little bit earlier, you know, still honoring and managing that grief, but that it's yeah. also okay. So can we talk just a little bit more about that? I think that is maybe the most important point, because as I said, for, for myself, it's something I struggled with. And I want to, and I'm honest about that. Uh, and, and I want people to know that when you're feeling like you don't want to recover, that that's OK, that it's normal. And after almost every every parent I've talked to is that they've gone through that at some point where it's just like, you know, and for me, I had I knew I had to because I have my wife and my other daughter here. But um, I, it's not something I really wanted to do. But you can. It's okay. 
it's actually part of the plan. I believe that we plan these lives. Um, and, and you, I, so this thing does, does not have to destroy you. And it's, it's okay to feel good again. It's okay to be happy. The first few times when you find yourself smiling, you may wonder, you know, what's going on with me? Um, you know, if, if you're crying every day, which usually we are, and you go a few days without crying, you're like, well, am I, am I done crying now? And then you'll find out later on, no, you're not. You know, it's just, it's just less often. Um, and I, I'm at the point now, you know, we're five years out where I'm like, yeah, it's, it's okay for me to feel good. It's okay for me to use this to help other people. It's okay for me to look forward to doing more productive things in my life. But uh, I have to, have to be frank, I also look forward to seeing Shana again. Um, so I've, I've got that to look to look forward to when my time is up. Um, so I guess the way of looking at it is um, we all come here for a short period of time. And whether it's 15 years or 80 years or 90 years in the scheme of eternity, it's really not that long. And we all we know ultimately we're all going to go back. So it's just a matter of how we go back and what time we go back. So when people leave us, you know, just think of it like I, I look at this. I have this illustration or this image in my head. We're walking down the road, four of us holding hands and Shana runs ahead, which is just like Shana. And Shana's she's just run home. Right. So we're still here. We're working our way home, but she's just back at home waiting for us. Hmm. And so maybe that might be a nice kind of area to go into because you said you really delved into the afterlife, the study of the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And when you use certain words, like, you know, in your book, you mentioned too, I don't use the word that she's dead or not coming back. Like that you say, one, I know I will be connected with her again, um, but you also don't use those terms. So for maybe people who just recently lost a child and they have not even touched any aspects of the afterlife at all, what have you found? And maybe you might have something or you might say something that might um, trigger somebody to look into a specific area or a belief. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's hard to kind of put 20 years of research into a, a short program like this. But I have studied mediumship, near-death experiences, afterlife communications, EVPs, ITCs, um, I've studied philosophy, you know, uh, because there's a philosophical thing that talks about it's called realism or idealism, philosophical way of looking at things. So my point is there is so much evidence. And that's what kind of what my podcast is about. It's helping people to understand how much evidence there is out there. It's not a matter of wishful thinking. It's not a matter of hoping. It's not a matter of wanting to believe something. It's something that you can really I, I challenge people when they come to me and say, I don't believe I'm like, do you want to? Because I can help you get there. So um, for me, it's just it's just it's the it's how I get through you know what I'm going through, but it's also like I said it's, it's very much evidence based. The, the 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 faith I don't like that word. It's actually knowing um, based upon all the evidence. All the evidence I've looked at, it's the most logical conclusion um, when you look at when you really dig in and look at the evidence. So I don't use words like died because death to, uh, implies a cessation of existence. When something dies, we assume it's it's it ceased to exist. So, as I said, I will acknowledge that our bodies die. Our bodies definitely do their biological things. They function and then they stop functioning. But to say that we've died assumes that we are our bodies, and I don't I don't look at it that way. I look at our we are souls that have a body. We're not bodies that have a soul. So, when people leave, and I, again, I use some awkward language, but when people transition, that's like a butterfly stepping out of a cocoon. It's like, you know, you're you're a caterpillar and you become a butterfly and you you actually expand. You, you, not, you don't get smaller. You're not less. You're not a ghost. You actually expand in who you truly are. And that's what I believe based upon 
like I said, over 20 years of, of looking into this. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think would be really important, and I thought you had um, great things to say in Grief to Growth, are um, maybe we can review what are some things to say to people that can be very helpful and what not to say. And I think I shared in a recent podcast, one of the, the hardest questions, although people are well-intentioned that they can ask when you're going through a grief um, you know, experience is, how are you doing? Yeah. Loaded question. It's so that is one of the toughest questions because and I would say the hardest and one I think you agree with me. Don't ask because either we're going to say I'm fine doing okay. It's like, you don't really want to hear how I'm doing, you know, do you want to ask that? And then to even have to think about, well, how am I doing? And then write this whole, you know, response if it's a text can be too tough. So what do you think are some of the things that you would recommend people saying and not saying? Um, And this could be overall for any grief experience or for somebody that's lost a child. Well, um, one of the things, how are you doing is a common question in our, in our culture. And I, I frankly, I find myself saying, I did it the other day. I was talking to a, I, I was a new client and I said, how are you doing? And, and they're like, oh, and I said, well, I really want to know. Frankly, when we ask that question, most of the time we don't want to know. It's a greeting that we just say it and we don't even answer it. You'll say, how are you doing? You, we answer back with, how are you doing? Um, so there's nothing really necessarily wrong with that question. If it's asked in the right way and in the right situation and you really want to know how I say, no, I really want to know how you're feeling today because this is what I'm here to do. Um, But some things we don't want to say, some people will say it's hard to believe. Well, you have other children. You know, it's a good thing you have other children. Children are not interchangeable. Um, If people are young, they'll say, well, you can have another child. Again, not interchangeable. Uh, When when a child transitions, that child is unique and you're going to mourn them just like whether you have one or 50, you're going to mourn that child. Um, So other things, I guess, to to not say is, you know, things like God needed another angel or God needed her more than you did. That's that's really putting it like, you know, God took them away from you. That's not a really helpful thing to say to to someone. Um, Things to say. It's really hard to know what to say. The biggest thing is, you know. I like to. I, I want. I want to listen to you. I, the biggest thing is listening to people that are in grief. They want to talk about their grief. They want to talk about their loved one. Um, I tell people don't avoid, especially if it's a child. Don't avoid bringing them up. Bring up happy memories. Talk about how great you know the relationship was. So tell tell happy stories about who they are. Um, people think that well, if I bring her up, I'm going to cause you to think about her. I guarantee you, any parent that has had a child. Uh, transition is thinking about that child probably 95% of the time. And when you're avoiding talking about that child, all they're thinking about is the fact that you're avoiding talking about my child. Um, so don't be afraid to, to, to bring that person up. I mean, don't be afraid to to bring up happy memories because that's, that's what we want. We want to honor our kids. We want to talk about them. We, we're still proud of them. Um, so that, those are things you, you can do. Um, but the biggest thing, as I said, is listening. The biggest thing is just saying I'm there for you. Uh, a lot of times people ask, you know, what can I what can I do for you? Now, again, especially in the early days of grief, we have no idea. So offer to do practical things. If people have other children, can you help take care of their other children? Can you cut their grass for them? Can you, um, you know, things like that. Just little practical things that you can do. Uh, now in the days of COVID, some things you can't do, but maybe give them a night out or something, you know, if, if there's a family, you know, say I, I'm going to take care of your other kids while you go out or something practical. The other thing I try to do with people is I realize in this first few weeks, they're going to be flooded with all kinds of people calling them, 
sending them food and all that kind of stuff. So I'll tell people, you know what, I'll call you in about six weeks when everybody else goes away. Um, because there's a point in, in your grief process where you're just flooded with people. And then there's a point when they get, kind of go back to their lives. And then you're sitting there and you feel like really alone. So what you can do for people is realize, okay, so-and-so's husband passed, you know, two months ago. I'm going to call her now um, because everybody else has kind of gone back to their lives. So check in on people, you know, after, after the, the rush has gone through. Yeah, um, I know one of my um, teachers, too, had mentioned that around that six-week mark, that's also a time when the flowers that you've been given tend to die. You know, you're starting to throw them out with the amount of flowers that come in. And there is kind of around that time frame, like you said, people kind of aren't checking in as often. And then you have these beautiful flowers that first come in and plants, and then all of a sudden they're dying off again and everything gets quiet. So I think that's a great point that that you bring up. Yeah. And people, if they've taken time off and they're going back to work, you know, it's just, every, it's just getting back into that routine. And I remember my wife and I being out uh, about the time after Shana passed and just looking at the world and thinking, you know, the world is going on, not realizing that everything has changed, you know, because for us, it's like, it's a different world when you're, when your child leaves. So just, like I said, be that person that comes around around that time. That's, that's when people really need, really need you when, when things are going back to routine and they realize, Okay, this is real. This is going to be the rest of my life. Things are going to be different. So be there for be there for them at that point. Yeah. So I also, you know, saw in your bio too that, you know, you've like you said, you've had every day is a day of gained experience about grief. Um, it's like you don't stop learning about grief, but you did go ahead and you got a, a life coach certificate. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about that process. And, you know, is there anything, I mean, I know that we're always learning, but was there anything in that process that was helpful to actually go through that training that added on to your life experience? Yeah, there's some techniques that I use with clients some tools that, that I got going through the life coaching certification. Um, I rely mostly on my my experience because I said I'm, I'm 59 years old. So I've been around for a long time, you know, raised two girls, been married for 30 years, you know, that stuff. I, I, I got this life coaching certificate just to, to get some tools and t- techniques I can use with people. Um, so that's that. Like I said, that's the, the reason for that. It, the, it's funny because I've talked to clients who say, so what's your process? How do we do this? And I'm like, well, it's different for everybody. It just it depends on, on what you need. And before we got started, you mentioned the, the five stages of grief, which is um, I, I think it's well, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross that coined that term, the five stages of, of dying. It actually was referred that to people who are actively dying. And people have taken that and overlaid it on grief and I believe misinterpreted. And there's still some some people who are very prominent grief counselors that use that. And I don't really mean to offend anyone, but it was never meant to apply to grief. And grief is not a linear process. It's more like a meandering path and it's up and down and back and forth. And and it comes in waves and you may or may not go through any of those five stages. You're probably not going to go through them in order if you do. And the whole idea of even acceptance at this point is, is kind of an interesting idea. So um, I don't I don't use those stages. I don't think they're really relevant. I just meet people where they are and give them what they need. Everybody's a little bit different. Um, but my my technique, if anything, is based on a shift in perspective. It's based upon, you know, OK, this thing happened. We can choose to look at it in a couple of different ways. But the two major ways are. This is really, really bad. Something bad happened. Either the universe accidentally let this happen or God did this to me and I just have to deal with it and accept it. 
or we can look at it as, okay, this thing happened. Is there possibly anything good that can come out of this? And what does it really mean when I say that my loved one died? Does that mean that they're gone? I'm never going to see them again. Or does it mean that it's just, you know, see you later. And does it, you know, and does it mean that I have to sit here in sackcloth and ashes for the rest of my life? Or does it mean I can pick up the pieces and move on and take this, this thing that I've been given and make it in something better. So the reason for my grief to growth and I, my subtitle is planet not buried is, now, Jesus said a seed, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it can it produces fruit. It comes forth and it produces, you know, many times. So I believe that when these bad things happen to us, we are planted. We're not we're not buried. We're not done. We're planted. And it's a time for us to to take advantage of this and, and, and grow actually into something new and something maybe even better. So that's how I work with, with people. It's like, how can we use this? How can we take this and turn it into something that is going to be beneficial to us? Mm. Yeah, your website is just loaded with content, information, really, really helpful resources, too. Can you let people know um, if they would like to actually work with you? I'm assuming that you're working with people um, virtually now uh, during yeah. during COVID, too. Um, but, yeah, let people know how they can get a hold of you if they would like to you know, speak with you and have you help them move through their grief process. Uh, yeah, my website is grieftogrowth.com. It's grief, the number two, growth.com. Um, you can reach me through there. As you said, there's, there's a lot of resources on there. Um, you, I do offer a free half hour consultation for people that just want to talk to me to see if they want to work with me or not. Uh, so you can schedule that through my website. I, I do work virtually. Uh, I, I'm really comfortable with the computer. I've been doing this for a long, long time, too. And, you know, it's interesting because even before COVID, I was doing everything virtually. So just, it's worked out really well. I have I have clients all over the world. So um, the nice thing is, you know, as long as the, the time zone thing works out, you know, we can we can meet no matter where you are. Uh, and sometimes meeting virtually, frankly, is a little bit less intimidating for people when they're going through grief. We, I noticed when I was working with helping parents heal, sometimes parents they didn't really want to be in the room. They didn't know what it was like. They didn't know how they were going to react. So they kind of like having that little bit of distance of being, you know, virtual. But by Zoom, by Zoom, I could I can we can look each other in the eye, and I've had some really really uh, good good results work with people through Zoom. Yeah. Well, Brian, thank you so much. It was great to speak with you again. And uh, I love the work that you're doing in the world. So thank you. And I thank Shana and thank her for guiding you and, uh, you know, helping you along along the way, because I think she's also helping others through you, which I believe that you know that too. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, April. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in, listening, watching, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's show. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you to listen to our new podcast, Mindbenders. Visit mindbenderspodcast.com to hear my dad's synchronistic story, I Hope It'll Bend Your Mind, about Jimi Hendrix. Then submit your story if you think it can bend our minds. Also be sure to check out the video replays of the 2020 Virtual Afterlife Conference. We have over 17 hours of amazing presenters exploring the survival of consciousness after death, working with hospice professionals, physicians, mediums, clergy, counselors, and alternative healers to offer a deeper understanding of death and beyond. Mm -hmm.